0: Hello, and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepard. I'm a mastering engineer, and I run the Production Advice website aimed at helping you get the best out of recording, mixing, and mastering your music. And with me again, this time, is my co-host, John Tidy from reaperblog.net. Hey, John, how you doing?
1: Hey, I'm, I'm doing really well. Hello, everyone.
0: And this episode was prompted by a couple of plugin in reviews, that i've seen recently uh i haven't used either of them but one of them was a very creative i think compression and distortion unit but without any of the usual controls that you might see so for example when the compressor activated, there was a depiction of a piston stamping down on something that was supposed to be the audio. It was a kind of steampunk design, so the, the, the plug-in interface looked like a, a huge machine with pipes and steam coming out and all kinds of weird stuff happening. Uh, and the other one is a mastering plugin called The Oven that I've seen quite a few people talking about that is much more conventional in the interface design, but even so doesn't have the usual labels for that we're used to. You know, Rather than frequency response and gain and all that kind of stuff, it has controls like temperature and cook and burners and sizzle and flow, which is a really interesting idea because the idea is to get us thinking more creatively about what we're doing with the music rather than focusing on the technicalities to dig into just what it sounds like and ideas like flavor or texture or atmosphere and mood and the design of these plugins reminds me of the kind of comments that you see a lot on the internet about just using your ears and if something sounds right it is right you know just turn the knobs till it sounds good that you you shouldn't follow rules there are no rules And you need to learn how to do everything yourself because every piece of music is different. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, clearly we should be mastering with our ears, not our eyes. And ideally we should be responding emotionally as much as intellectually so that we're going for the feeling behind the song and the artistic intent, not just, you know, ticking boxes in a technical checklist. And I think it, it can be really hard to to listen to something and think, oh, I wish there was more kind of bounce in the the feel of this song or a more kind of ebb and flow. And to translate that into parameters on a compressor, for example, or to know that the, the cure for something feeling a bit lumpy and a bit sluggish and a bit low in energy might be to reduce the bass energy slightly. Um you know, there's a big difference between the technical terms that we use to describe audio and that appear in DAWs and on plugin interfaces, and the way we feel about music and we, the way we think about it. And plugins make a particularly interesting example of all of this because the plugin interface completely determines what you what you have to to play with, what you have to to think about. So maybe it does make sense to have f- buttons on the plugin interface label things like vibe or warmth or groove or whatever. I mean personally, I tend to like plugins that where I know exactly what's what's going on. I'm happy with all of the the technical aspects. So I don't find it that big of a, a problem to kind of translate what I want. On the other hand, you know, I've been doing it for however many years. You you kind of learn over time how things sound and what different parameters do. John, what's your immediate kind of reaction to that? How do you approach this? Do you like technical stuff? Do you like creative stuff? What's,
1: how is it for you? I think there's a place for both in different parts of the workflow or different parts of the production process. So Mm -hmm. I hate reaching for something that I consider to be a mastering tool when I'm just starting out with the recording or mixing process. I'm getting a bass sound. I don't want to go to like linear phase, multiband compression stuff where I'm worrying about attack and release times of everything, like I, I'd rather just like pull up something that's like a couple knobs that gets me a good sound quickly. And yeah, and, and the, the idea of the the labels being more descriptive of how what it achieves rather than what it, it technically is, that helps with that creative process rather than you know the technical side of it. And something that's kind of in between that is Bjorgvin's audio issues EQ. Mm -hmm. which has descriptive names for the different ranges or frequency areas that can be displayed. So more honk or bite or whatever. Um, Or you can turn that off and it's just the frequency numbers. Both of those are very helpful. So I don't know about that steampunk one. I mean, at the end of the day, like I don't care what the interface really looks like that much as long as it doesn't get in the way. That kind of sounds like it gets in the way and distracts from what you're doing um which probably what the argument was in in the video Uh, a plugin like the butch fig vocals plugin from waves that one has all the standard controls like a knob for ds compress lows presence air but the whole layout is kind of like you're looking up and down left and right it's not you know just a horizontal line like you're used to seeing with plugins or like a graph or anything. It's speedometers and gears and clockwork and um you know, every knob and function has a different interface that you need to interact with and it's, it's kind of just strange. And that feels like it would really get in the way. I haven't used this plugin myself, but yeah, uh it scares me a bit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I I haven't used it either, but I saw some reviews when it came out, and I quite like I liked the creativity that went into it, and I liked the the idea. But it it I mean, for a start, it sort of goes around in a circle,
1: like a really expensive, ugly watch,
0: <laughs> unless you like steampunk watches. Um, yeah, but it, I mean, it even that still has you know low cut lows presence air. I guess those are. Less technical, you know, I mean, lows, that's a pretty descriptive term. And I think that's an interesting kind of blending of the two, right? So rather than sort of saying, oh, 50 hertz or 100 hertz or whatever, just lows and then presence, which is mids and air, which is the high frequencies, uh, you know, that kind of simplification, I guess you were saying about, you know, something just straightforward that lets you get roughly where you want to be without having to adjust too many parameters.
1: Yeah, and then that's familiar terminology from guitar and bass amps so most musicians will understand those terms and they won't think about in terms of like 50 hertz 60 hertz things like that
0: no exactly um but then even some of the others you know there's compress dynamics focus Uh, i'm not exactly sure what focus would be in terms of um a compressor necessarily maybe that's attack and release time perhaps um Yeah I mean that's that's an interesting example the the one that I was uh mentioning before the steampunk one is called Steam Driver if you want to take a look and it's basically kind of two huge sort of vacuum chambers one of them has a spring the other one has electricity inside it there are yeah dials and there's a thing that looks like a gramophone horn on there oh, wow. and there's a, there's an airship in there for some reason <laughs>
1: I've never seen this one. That is that is bizarre. That's This is like so much worse than I ex- expected from your description. I thought it was going to be more like the Butch Vig one. No, um, no
0: I'm pretty sure yeah, that the, wow. the lightning crackles around and that steam comes out of that gramophone piece on the right and that the, the airship probably flies around.
1: And tons of wasted space, uh, you know, where there's, there's nothing to interact with.
0: Okay, yeah, that's... Uh, Interesting. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of visuals, the idea of lightning depicting, I guess, saturation and distortion, um, and this piston depicting compression, you know, I mean, I'm somewhat infamous on this show for my ridiculous analogies. Um, You know, I guess having a piston depicting the compression clamping down on the sound is just taking an analogy to another step. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, So it's fun to look at these plugins and and maybe get inspired by them, but are they really, like, useful? Like, are, are they are they helping?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, okay, so let me um, give some examples of some where I think that innovation in interface design really is beneficial. So everybody's going to go, yeah, but this is normal. But you got to remember I've been doing this for 25 years now, so I remember when the TC Electronic System 6000 first came out with the first touchscreen display and with actually a depiction of the the EQ curve that you were you were dialing in you know so you could push the faders up and down and see the width of the parametric and all the rest of it that's standard on every or not every but pretty much every EQ plugin these days that is for me is a really helpful interface innovation because you don't have to know what the numbers are anymore or even really understand what they are but if you know as you as you boost the gain, you can see the curve going up, you can feel the EQ in that region getting stronger, you can sweep the frequency. The visual impact of that display reinforces what you're hearing. It lets you learn what is being done to the sound. And I think, you know, when it came in, that was incredibly innovative and it's a really useful feature. Just to go back to what you were saying about um, Björgvin's o- audio issues plug in I agree. That's a really clever, simple idea. And as well as the option to toggle between descriptive language and actual frequencies, it also has the ability to hide the eQ curve, or I think if you use part of the plugin, you don't see the eQ curve at all, which encourages you to listen with your ears. I think as a learning tool, that's a really interesting idea. And I feel the same about compressor plugins that show you, compression graph i mean that's a slightly weird thing to say because a graph is a very technical way to display sound but for me to be able to see visually how hard or soft the knee of the compressor is and you know what the angle of the curve when the ratio comes into play is and to be able to see the audio when the audio hits the threshold how much the gain reduction is taking effect again all of that. Takes me away from the numbers and gets me back into thinking about the sound, which I like.
1: That, I think that's a really helpful thing for beginners. Uh, having those mm. graphs—they're uh, a lot more common now than they used to be, um, even a few years ago. Um, like, there's there's free plugins for Reaper that will have the graph in there, and it it's great when like the compression is subtle, we can still see that. The, On the graph there is things happening and then you can know whether to go further or less things like that without you know really squinting your ears
0: (laughs) (laughs) i like that expression yeah Uh, yeah no absolutely um no i i agree um yeah particularly when you're learning and then the other thing that a lot of them will do um you know fab filter for example shows at the same time as the EQ curve that you're dialing in, you can see the frequency response of the audio represented, you know, dynamically in real time. And you can have before or after or both. So again, you can you can see how the frequency content of the signal changes as you push the EQ up or pull it back in a certain band. I do think that that kind of stuff is or can be beneficial. Um I think there is a risk that we come to rely on it. Um you know, I learned to EQ using an EQ where you didn't see a graph. I mean, it was still a fully digital parametric, um, as opposed to a kind of an analog hardware unit. But you still had to listen, and there's no doubt that that helped me with my ear training at the time. Um, I think there's another objection to, you know, the EQ representation that Mike Senior brought up when he was a guest on the show, which is that there is a risk that we might actually not use the ideal EQ for a particular piece of audio, just because it looks wrong. You know, if yeah. there, there might come a point where we kind of look at it and just go, well, that bass hump is just too large to to make any sense. And one of the things I like about the fab filter display for that reason is that if you get beyond a certain point, it actually change, automatically changes the scale of the EQ to stop it looking too scary. Yeah. Um, but, you know, personally, that that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. I'm very happy to use whatever EQ shape is necessary to get the result. But I think that that's a valid point that could kind of influence some people. And that's where, you know, we do start uh, listening with our eyes instead of our ears, potentially.
1: Yeah, it, it's definitely happened where I, I start moving the thing and I maybe I look away as I'm moving it. And then I see that I'm at like plus 15 on the dial for some EQ move. And I'm like... Am I doing something wrong? And yeah, in a mastering context, I would be, but (laughs) in general, like that's not the sort of thought you want to have when you're trying to be creative and working fast and, and moving on to the next musical idea and that is a workflow killer. So yeah, that goes back to like having EQ plugins that just have descriptions or just have knobs. Rather than the full graph, and then multi-band and mid-side and all those other other useful options, but not musician-friendly options.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because you know the, the the flip side of all of this is you know so there are benefits to having things like an EQ graph, for example, but there can be there can be a downside to that. On the other hand you know if you don't want to see that visual feedback you could always just close your eyes <laughs> um, yeah. and lots of us do you know lots of us uh, you know, that's a time honored tradition since you know including with analog hardware so, i mean i guess some people would say it's easier with well no I, with analog hardware you know how far you've turned the, the dial right whereas right. um you know with a mouse you can only really guess at the kind of scaling and i think you know not to kind of sing fab filters praises too much although they make excellent plugins but another thing that i like about their interfaces is a lot they a lot of that super advanced stuff is is there to be used but not necessarily clouding the issue when you first open it up it's kind of you know you just add an eq node and you move it around and then if you want to make it into a dynamic eq or if you want to split it into mid-side or change the the you know from minimum phase to linear phase and all that kind of stuff it's all there but it's not kind of cluttering you up it's not like you have 10 different switches all of the same size and they they've i feel like they prioritize really cleverly the most straightforward stuff and probably the most important stuff so that it as your skill level increases it it almost kind of grows with you in terms of the way that you use it um i mean what other examples can you think of of plugins with unusual interfaces you know because yeah, I do think that the EQ graphs are a great thing, but let's face it, pretty much all the plugins these days have them.
1: One of my favorite plugins ever is Sausage Fattener from Dota Life, And <laughs> just because there's this, there's this sausage and when the, the knobs are turned down low, it's, it's happy. And as you increase the drive and saturation and clipping and distortion in it, it starts getting angrier. And I've used this plugin quite a lot. It's kind of designed for just a quick EDM mastering sort of thing. It's kind of become a meme to just crush everything with Sausage fattener and really clip things. But I've used it on much gentler music and it's still been very useful just because it's a quick tool with essentially two knobs, but really there's a there's a gain trim at the end that you can adjust fatness and color. And it's just you know, one knob for distortion or limiting and one knob just for like an EQ adjustment. And it's so fast to to tweak things and the interface doesn't get in the way and it's cute and silly and it makes you like, as you turn up the, the fatness knob, adding limiting and distortion, you see it getting angrier and that makes you want to turn it even more and it's fun. Uh, Another one is from Freak Show Industries. They've got a bunch of really crazy plugins, um, Mishby, Backmask, Dumpster Fire. None of the knobs and things are labeled in a way that makes sense. And just the whole plugin UI is, uh, yeah, it's it's like um, (laughs) otherworldly. I don't know how to really describe them, but like, they're not well, like other i a companies. screenshot here and
0: I can see a rainbow and some unicorns and some lightning. Um, and yeah. Parameters labeled length and prob and center.
1: Yeah. And there's tentacles and there's also, you know, happy faces and veins and things oh. and various <laughs> runes and weird. It just, none of it makes any sense, but... They're a plug-in company that's actually doing things different from everyone else. They're not making things like emulating classic hardware, or it has to be exactly the same as the original piece of gear. And they're not marketing their stuff in the same way that other companies are. They even have a steal button on the website that allows you to pay what you want and download it. So.
0: (laughs) That's nice. I love that. And I hadn't even noticed the tentacle on the the, the one that I was looking at. You're right. Yeah. I mean, you've got to love anything where it says, um, a sort of digital control collar, home to the deranged consciousness of a long forgotten god. I mean, <laughs> that's gotta be some serious AI.
1: Yeah. You're not gonna be using these in a, a mastering context. Likely. I mean, maybe really, with maybe really not. You'll probably one day find a client that wants you to just, you know. I want chaos in this section and we couldn't find the right tool for it. And you're gonna go, ah, I know the right tool for that and you will be able to finally use that. But I think this is more for, you know, really mangling things and getting interesting loops and things um, early on in the, the sound design portion of production process rather than mixing or mastering.
0: Yeah. It's, re- it's really interesting that you mention um, Chaos, because that, that's reminded me of another one. White Sea reviewed it on his YouTube channel. It claimed to be kind of unique and creative and uh, give you this, to, to give you inspiration. I haven't used it, but as far as it, he could tell, it was just choosing random configurations of processing. So it would just, you know, it would add in a ring modulator and a compressor and a distortion The first time you click the button and then next time it would be an EQ and an expander and a stereo modulation preset or something. So, and every time you did it, it was something completely different. He got really annoyed by it, but...
1: Could that be from Baby Audio? There's Magic Dice and the interface is just a dice with a mix knob and you can roll the dice and get a different effect from it. And all the effects in that are pretty much um, delay and reverb and maybe with some modulation on dulls. There's no real way to get back to a sound that you liked uh, another time, which is kind of a weird, maybe it's a fun way of, of doing things, but yeah, that's the plugin. It's one button that you click and it rolls the dice and it gives you a different effect.
0: It wasn't that one, but that sounds like a similar, similar idea. And yeah, I agree. It's like, on the one hand, okay, great. Let's have something that, yeah, inspires you and, you know, does something unexpected and creative, um... But on the other hand, yeah, don't <laughs> take away the option for me. I want to go back to your example of sausage fattener, though. I would say that's right on the boundary that we're talking about, right? Because, um, I mean, I haven't actually used it. it. Is it just a straight limiter or is it compression as well?
1: It's like upward compression into a limiter with a saturator, something like that.
0: Okay. Like so,
1: so It really destroys sounds.
0: <laughs> okay, so it doesn't sound, uh, it's not clean or clinical or any of those things.
1: No, but it sounds like an effect that you want to put on more of, in a way.
0: Right. I mean, have you used it in a, in a mastering context or just in a mix? I think I probably have used it in mastering. That's really interesting. Because, so so that's one of the points that I was going to make. For me, I'm completely on board with the idea of simple controls Where I start getting uncomfortable is where I don't know what a plugin is doing. So the example that I had of that was some of the Waves plugins that have an analog button that you can enable or disable. When I first saw that, I assumed it was going to add interesting saturation and harmonic content as you push the units harder. But as far as I can tell, most of the time at least, all it really does is add some hiss yeah um and for me that would be super annoying because if you you know if you're using it on some loud audio so you didn't immediately notice the noise and then it gets to the quiet section it's like well where does that hiss come from in fact i've seen people ranting on forum threads about you know i was looking for this noise for hours and then realized it was the waves plugin that was adding it mm-hmm. um and that's my general concern you know sausage fatner fatness okay i have an idea of what that's going to be i assumed that that would be some kind of yeah um probably harmonic content maybe some low mid eq color i would figure probably changes where that eq boost is and then obviously as you push the gain up you know you you make the sausage angrier and and it gets louder and eventually more distorted so that's kind of reasonably intuitive but it i mean if we to, to go to a slightly more uh, I guess, realistic example in a mastering situation, if you think of the oven, it's an emulation of a piece of high-level hardware. And yeah, these terms like low burn, mid burn, top burn, I'm guessing those are EQ. Um, but you know, then there's the sizzle section where you can choose the sizzle type and switch it between off, Bunsen, or on. There's cook, you can bake or broil the audio. You've got <laughs> electricity or gas, And I think what those are doing is changing, you know, there are different levels of saturation and harmonic content being added and they're just creative names. But for me, if I was going to use that seriously, I would be wanting to spend, well, I wouldn't be wanting to spend, but I would feel like I had to spend several days just testing each of those, probably running them through Plugin Doctor to figure out exactly what was going on, just to make sure that, it wasn't doing anything that I didn't want. And this is where you come into that boundary of, well, if it sounds good, why would you care what it's doing? And the answer is because maybe it's adding noise that I don't know about it, you know, or it's...
1: I'm nodding all the way through this.
0: <laughs> maybe part of the the, the sonic imprint that what he was adding might be aliasing components, right? Which I'm not saying I would never add aliasing distortion to something. I probably would never add aliasing distortion in a mastering situation, but... If I did, I damn well want to know that I am and have complete control over it. And this is where you come into the, you know, the kind of the control freak aspect of mastering. And I guess maybe mastering is very different to the rest of the production process. You know, when you're recording and mixing, it is much more about creativity and going on instinct and going on feel and and all that kind of stuff. Whereas in mastering, you know, mastering is a technical process, where you have to have empathy for the artistic intent the emotion and and everything else that's there in the music but it's much more technical i guess than other stages in the process so yeah it's really interesting to see something like the oven which is intended as a high end piece of mastering processing that doesn't you know maybe if you, i don't know maybe if you read the manual it does it lays it all out there and says that's what this is what this does this is what that the other does but even then So for example, Waves Factory Spectre is another saturation plugin that I really like. I really like the interface on that. I mean, you can choose different, um, in air quotes, types of saturation. So there's one that's meant to emulate tube distortion, for example, and you can switch between six or seven different types of saturation that can be added as color, but you have complete control because it gives you an EQ graph where you can just grab hold of a frequency and boost or cut, and it has—I forget the name they give to the to the mode of it—but you can switch it so that it only adds the saturation; it doesn't add EQ as well, or it can be combined saturation with EQ. Um, and you have a mix control, and you have control over the anti-aliasing. It was de-emphasis. De-emphasis. Thank you. Is is the, the the name of the parameter, and that for me enables me to add just as much or as little. It's got mid-side switchable, I believe. Um, it gives me an in- enormous amount of control if I feel like I need a little bit of meat in the guitars then i can I can put in some you know something around in the low mids in maybe in the sides only if they're hard panned and I'm getting those flavors, but I have complete control and I didn't have to read the manual at all. I just open the plugin up, grab hold of the controls, and go having said that, I come from a very technical background you know I studied physics to degree level I'm okay with mathematics i you know I guess that's the way my brain works and I know that there are mastering engineers out there who are very different. They approach it very much in a in a creative way, and they they don't care so much about the technical aspects. So, which side do you fall on, John? I'm somewhat trained. You know,
1: I went to audio engineering school for a, a full year, and I, I've worked mm-hmm. in a studio before. Um, I do mastering on my own, so as freelance. So,
0: but in terms of preference, are you like me? Do you want kind of everything explicitly laid out so that if you're going to add a little bit of this saturation or that, then you know it, or are you comfortable in a mastering situation with stuff that is less technically clear?
1: I think it really depends on the day and maybe even the, the style of the song, honestly. Okay. Um, I want to know what you think of the Shadow Hills Industries Mastering Compressor, because this is a plugin that has a strange layout, but it's been you know a, a staple in the industry for 15 years, I want to say, maybe a bit longer, a style, visual style of the interface that is not like other companies, Um, this sort of art deco 1950s uh, electronics sort of thing with bakelite knobs and stuff. Uh, And they also explain exactly what each knob does, specifically like discrete attack or discrete ratio or optical gain. I still have no idea what's happening with that When I run audio through it, it does not make any sense to me. How about you?
0: I have not used it, um, but obviously I, I know about it. What I would say is that you're not alone. I'm pretty sure I watched a Dan Worrell video where he dug into the plugin version of it and kind of said much the same thing in the sense that even though everything is laid out in the manual and is right there in the interface, if I remember rightly, you know, there were some bits where the, the layout might make you think that one thing was applied first, followed by another, and that that wasn't the case. And some of the current parameters interacted with each other and s- some of them didn't. Um,
1: I also expected a lot more color and like character from it than I was getting. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little odd. Um, I'm glad I didn't spend like $300 on it or $3,000 for the hardware. It, it, maybe it's, it's probably even more than that. I never looked it up, but, you know, it it looks super interesting. I've always been fascinated by their their hardware design. But, yeah, just trying the plug in, it was like really disappointing. Hard to find a use for it.
0: Well, there's a couple of points in there that are interesting. I mean, I... Love well designed stuff, whether it's digital or analog. I really appreciate build quality in analog gear and in hardware in general. You know, just for example, the you know, the using a studio tape machine, the way, you know, these two reels are spinning and then you just stop and it stops on a dime and it you know, that's just stuff. It's A, it's really important for reliable operation, and B, it's just a pleasure to use. And I think if you're paying top dollar for for hardware, that's what you expect so i mean to turn it around uh, you know i've said several times i really appreciate the design that goes into the fabfilter plugins i feel like they're kind of the the digital equivalent of that in the sense that everything is really well laid out it's really carefully thought about it's really intuitive to use it's flexible it's powerful to spend a ton of effort accurately emulating the look of a hardware unit in plugin form i mean that you know the oven looks I imagine exactly like the hardware box, and the Shadow Hills emulation looks exactly like the hardware box and is laid out in a very similar way. I mean, that was another one of Dan Worrell's comments about it. Was he was saying, well, given that this is no longer a piece of hardware, why couldn't they do things slightly differently to make the plugin even better? You know, there's stuff that's possible in software that is much harder to do in hardware let's take advantage of the fact that this is now digital. Okay, you don't have the hardware unit, but you could do all of these other things as well. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, there's people like him making comments like that in reviews. It'll be interesting to see whether the plugin manufacturers take those comments on board and, um, you know, take the opportunity to potentially get something that's even better. Um, Would an emulation of the Shadow Hills compressor that sounded the same but looked different, would that be good? Would that not be good you know it's um it's an interesting question i kind of i can see both sides of it because i like things that are visually appealing i mean honestly one of the (laughs) i feel really shallow saying it but one of the reasons i've never really bothered to dig into reaper is that a lot of the default interface stuff is very very pragmatic you know it's very very simple it'll be maybe a slider or numbers and all the rest of it um that kind of you know, having said how much I like all of the technical aspects of these things, in some ways that's too far for me, back towards kind of just kind of code and numbers, as opposed to something that feels creative to use. It's the same reason I prefer to use a Mac rather than a PC, it's just, you know, they're capable of the same stuff in terms of the hardware that's there, well, in terms of my Mac, it actually is a PC, it'll run Windows. I just prefer the interface and the optimization of that and the way that it looks and the feel and all the rest of it. And because we spend so much time using this stuff and the hardware, you know, all of that is an important part of the, the kind of the workflow experience. So
1: I, I think definitely the shadow hills
0: would sound worse in a different UI. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, that's probably true. I mean, to, to go completely off topic, I Back in the day, when I was very young, and it's now long enough ago that I can admit to it, when I used to get records out of the library and tape them illegally um and killing the music industry while I did it, except i didn't uh, um i would i used to hate the you know the cardboard inlays you had for the cassettes where you had to write out all the song titles by hand and it just looked and I would kind of make mildly creative um using oil pastels and kind of ink pens and stuff um cassette sleeves for stuff um and if i got one that i liked i was more likely to listen to the album (laughs) than if i didn't see and even album covers if if, if an album has a cover that i'm not pleased by i'm less likely to listen to it i don't know whether i'd actually go so far as to say it sounds less good but i know exactly what you mean about the shadow well and i mean there are some there's a big debate um is it harrison mixed bus Yeah. Where they have a a DAW that is supposed to emulate the the Harrison consoles. And I think it might be Dan Worrell again was doing some investigation into that and finding that actually...
1: There's the VST plugin for the EQ or channel strip. And they're limiting it to what the original hardware can do. Plus, it's actually not adding any analog anything to it. So... So it's right. like there's
0: no saturation or or kind of yeah. harmonic enhancement or any of that stuff.
1: I don't want to get involved in that. There's already been way too many videos about that topic, and it has gone way too far.
0: Yeah, maybe let's 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 not get into we'll that. Move on um, from that. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, but it, it, and it's it's a really common complaint about some plugins that claim to be authentic emulations of or even maybe not an emulation of an actual piece of hardware, but certainly in the style of a piece of classic hardware. And the main thing they do is emulate the interface. And, you know, I mean, there, as I just said, there is a, a degree to which, you know, if you learned how to EQ using a Pultec EQ, then a plugin that looks like a Pultec will be much more intuitive and much faster and easier to use for you, providing that, you know, the controls do the same thing that the hardware did than a fully digital parametric EQ.
1: I think it is important to model the hardware interface and then add on to it. I think Archery is doing a pretty good job. Like their 1176, it's laid out like an 1176, you know, the, with the uh, attack and release knobs reversed of every other compressor, no threshold control, but it's got a uh, separate input and output controls. But then they add in linking the input and output in reverse. So you turn off the input, it turns down the output. Super nice. While the output is still adjustable independently, there's a mix knob. There's a panel that comes open and you can change how it detects stereo signals as uh, multi mono, dual stereo, mid side. Um, there's a sidechain compression or sidechain input filter and all these extra things that are super hard to add into the hardware but because it's digital they can just add it it's just a little bit of extra code you know not actually having to worry about interference running wires beside different parts all those sorts of things or or the cost of it so mm. um but yeah if you took away the input and output controls on our 1176 and gave it a threshold control that's not 1176 anymore. You wouldn't get the same sound. Or even just putting the attack and release knobs the right way around. That would not be the same compressor. So I think that is important to, you know, keep the interface the same
0: and keep the sound the same
1: um, for anything that resembles the classic hardware.
0: And that's a great point because you're right. It wouldn't be the same compressor. I mean, it would technically be capable of the same thing, you know, just swapping the attack and release knobs, right? Once you'd... It's like wearing those glasses that have mirrors in and they turn the world upside down and for a, half an hour people just can't cope and then the brain adapts and suddenly they manage to cope with it.
1: I haven't seen well, that, but right. that the, sounds interesting. <laughs> the like, like the reverse, yeah, tra- the bicycle with the reversed steering?
0: Yeah, although apparently that is much, much harder to, okay. to deal with. Um, but But you're right, the experience of using it stops being like using an 1176 and you know any experience you had using an 1176 suddenly you're kind of fighting against that rather than rolling with it which is what it made it beneficial in the first place you know is oh okay i know what this is i know how this works what this does how it's going to sound if i want to get this result i just do this yeah um and i guess that is probably that kind of brings us full circle because the same could apply to any of these tools you know if 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 you take the time to learn what the oven can do, I'm sure it's going to be just as fast and intuitive to use as anything else, and is quite possibly capable you know, of some unique textures. And yeah, I'm guessing a skilled sausage fattener expert user could probably smoke my compression and limiting skills. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that uh, feels like a good place for us to leave it. Um, if you like the way that something sounds, if it sounds good then absolutely go for it. It doesn't matter what the controls say and what the interface does. But for me personally, I'm so much of a control freak that there's always gonna be some resistance to, to that kind of interface design for me. And it sounds like probably similar for you as well, John, in a mastering context, at least. Exactly. And
1: we're gonna have links to everything that we mentioned in the description of the video uh, on YouTube, as well as in the show notes.
0: Yeah, which you can find at themasteringshow.com. And yeah, that's going to be quite a list. <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting trying to compile that. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, found it interesting, please uh, leave us a rating or review. You can go to themasteringshow.com slash review or just add a five-star review wherever it is you're listening to this podcast. We'd really appreciate it. It helps other people find the show. Thanks to John, as always, for uh, helping me out this episode and for mixing and mastering the episodes as always and to Katie Law for letting us use his music and to you thanks for listening.